With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You were making at one point 30,000 a year. A year later, you were making over six figures. What happened? How did the light switch suddenly go on with you? I honestly just decided to get rich. I, and it sounds really simple and stupid, but... I was in my 40s, I was living in a converted garage, I was scraping by, I hated feeling like I was playing so small with my one life on earth. And that's what kicked me in the ass to get out there and do whatever it took to change my financial reality. How does deciding make you do what it takes? Because when you've made a real decision, when you hit a challenge, which you certainly will, you don't look for excuses, you look for ways to push through them. That is the difference between wanting and deciding. Because when you've decided there is no plan B, the only option is success and moving forward. And that's what a decision is. So very excited to have the one and only Jen Sincero in the podcast. She's the author of You Are a Badass and You Are a Badass at Making Money. Jen, how's it going? So good. Thanks for coming down here. Thanks for having me here. This is really awesome. So I'm going to sum up. First off, here's what I like. I just want to tell you real quickly what I like about the books. I feel like you've, it's almost like you combined all of my favorite personal improvement books into one and made it really, and used your very um, skillful, concise language at boiling them down to their, their salient points and making them, you know, really practical to the reader. So like, for instance, take Byron Katie, who I think is a genius and very spiritual writer, but she's so much kind of in her world, it's hard to t translate what she says into how can we have a better life? How can I have a better romantic life? How can I make more money and so on? Same with like Wallace Waddle's The Science of Getting Rich. He wrote that in the 1800s, you bring it up to date, you know, so to speak. And same with Napoleon Hill, had his own quirks, you bring it all up to date. Not that that's the only thing you do because you also take a lot from your own experiences and and tell stories and and tell how other people used your techniques and you, you have a career coaching so so you have all these stories from your own clients but am I summarizing somewhat Totally and I'm glad because that was my intent because I don't want to read that much <laughs> I just want somebody to tell me how to do what I want to do and you know the bite-sized chunks was really a goal of mine. So I'm very glad that it worked. And the bite-sized chunks are great. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, on the one hand, oh, let me, let me start at the top. There's sort of this umbrella idea of be more positive and question your excuses, but then you kind of break it down further of how to do that in an appropriate way. Like I'll give an example, which you don't get, but this is this is an example of bad positive thinking. If you're crossing a major highway, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be positive. No one's going to hit me and just run across the highway. You're, you'll get hit and die. So you break it down into how to appropriately be more positive to improve your life. I think that's another way to summarize some aspects of your book. 
I've never thought about the highway analogy. That's a good one. Well, I think yeah. I think I, I mean you're you're very positive in the books, and it's when I'm reading the books, I'm inspired. And uh, I don't mean to be talking so much. I'm gonna let you talk in a second, but I'm just giving you my <laughs> my download of how I thought about everything. But I think the danger in just positive thinking is the highway scenario. Well, yeah, and also we're emotional creatures, and I certainly want to put my fists through the wall sometimes. You know, it's like to think that you're always going to be positive gives you another reason to feel like a loser because you're not always positive. You know what I mean? So I think it's very unrealistic and and. And unhealthy to try and stay positive all the time. You got to feel your feelings, or you uh, will get sick. Not only that, let's say let's say your goal is, as an example, to lose weight. If you're just positive, two things can happen. Like you said, one is you can't always stay positive. That's impossible. That's not that's not biology. That's not the human condition. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you could get disappointed in yourself and say, ah, this doesn't work, right. and you don't lose weight. The other thing is you could lose the weight and still be unhappy, and you could say, oh, no, the positive thinking thing didn't work. I lost the weight, but I'm still, my life is miserable. I'm still getting into these bad relationships. I still don't have money, the whole thing. So there's two dangers to just positive thinking. If it's not honed in the ways, I think the very specific ways in which you suggest are the right, right ways to go about it. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I think the big trap that we get into is we kind of get comfortable in negativity because it's so, it's so pre prevalent in our culture and our and the way that we're taught. You know, um, you're almost seen as a dork if you're positive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or you're a little like pie in the sky, Pollyanna, and it's kind of cooler to be negative. Quite frankly, definitely. Don't you think so? Well, think about it from. Uh, an evolutionary point of view, if you walk past a bush and there's rustling in the bush, you can either take the time to see if that's the wind or you could take the time to see if that's a lion. But by the time you see it's a lion, it's too late. Uh -huh. So it's better to be negative in most situations so you run. That's how we were raised biologically. Is that why we're so damn negative? Yeah, that's why we're so damn negative. <laughs> that's why. I don't know about have, that. have you ever worked as a reporter? No. Okay, so when you work as a reporter, and this has been my experience, uh, you get called into the newsroom at the beginning of the day, and the editor basically says, depending on the editor or the producer of the show or whatever, what? How can we scare people the most today? See, but I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that either. <laughs> and I, I don't think I, I don't read the news at all. That's why. Yeah, and and I and it's a choice. So. Yeah, the lion in the bush might eat you, but then you spend your time on earth, maybe you do get eaten by a lion, but then you spend your whole time on earth scared of the lion. I don't want to live like that. Screw it. I don't think it, I, I'd rather think it's the wind. So, okay. Um, so then let's get down to the brass tactics. Like, uh, is that the word or is it brass tax? Tax. Tax? Yeah. Well, why, why would that be? Because maybe you hang up a poster, <laughs> you I, hang up something on your wall. Let's research that when we're done. I kind of need to know. By the way, are you comfortable? Do you need? Do you want to take I'm your totally coat off? I'm This coat is like wearing my robe. It's like a bathrobe. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So you suggest so many different techniques, and I would say one of them is, which I strongly agree with, is you know don't get, don't let your excuses be tarnished by regrets or anxieties, and you know how maybe. How do you do that? That's hard. How to how to fend off regrets and anxiety. Anxiety. Sometimes I won't start something because I'm afraid. What will happen? I'm afraid well, to leave my job and start a business. Because out of you're fear. okay. 
where you place your focus determines what your reality looks like. So if you're going to constantly focus on, if I leave my job, I'll lose all my money and live under a park bench for the rest of my life, right? Could happen. If you keep focusing on that, you will pull into your radar all the ways in which you can make that true. If you focus on, I could quit my job and make 10 times more money and do all the things I love and meet all the people I want to meet, totally could happen too. So, and, and definitely, and you mentioned this in, the, in this book, certainly you won't ever have the chance to make 10 times the money and meet all sorts of wonderful people if you never leave the job. Probably not. I don't know. Miracles happen every day, but probably not. So, but but the, the other devil's advocate is that you could leave your job and crash and burn, yeah. but then you can argue you've then had this amazing experience and people do have this wonderful capacity to bounce back. And especially if you don't like your job, what's where is the win in that? Well, okay, I'll play devil's advocate again. Uh, <laughs> I but but Jen, I have a mortgage and three kids, and I can't miss a mortgage payment. Okay, so uh, you could make more money than you're making now, and actually enjoy your life if you got a different job. Totally, people do it all the time. Okay, uh, you're right. <laughs> Wait, what should I do? What should <laughs> okay, I do next? Huh? Uh, what should I do next then? You should get clear on exactly how much money you desire to make. And you should make the hell-bent-for-glory decision to make that a reality for yourself and do every single thing you can think of within your moral scope to make that happen and do it as if you had a gun to your head and do it as if this is your one and only life on planet Earth as the you that is you and insist upon it. And so let's, I want to get back to that because I want to get down to how to do that, but Tell me, you, you you were making at one point thirty thousand a year. You wanted to make uh, a year later. You were making over six figures. What happened? How did your how did you suddenly the how did the light switch suddenly go on with you? I honestly just decided to get rich. I and it sounds really simple and stupid, but I was in my forties. I was living in a converted garage. I was scraping by. I was making all my my decisions based on how much everything cost because I didn't want to think about money because I was a rock and roller and a writer and I was too cool and I didn't want to be a slave to the dollar. But when you're broke, every single decision you make is about how, you know, is based on what stuff costs. So it was the, uh, you know, cosmic joke on me And uh, I got really sick of scraping by, but even more so, I realized, really, this is the best I can do? I can live in a converted garage, scraping by, constantly. I I, I knew for me, and this is why I call the book You Are a Badass, like I knew that I was capable of so much more and there were so many more things in life I wanted to experience and that I could do it. And I was being so lame. I hated feeling like I was playing so small with my one life on earth. And that's what kicked me in the ass to get out there and do whatever it took to change my financial reality. And when I say I decided to get rich, that is a huge ass decision to make because saying something like that is such a loaded statement, right? Can you imagine if you went around and told all your friends, hey, I'm going to get really rich this year. They would immediately go to, you're going to compromise your morals. You're going to become a big fat rich jerk, right? It instantly goes there. I would say, like, sometimes I have these Q&As on Twitter uh, where I let anybody ask me questions. And invariably, in every session, somebody asks, don't you have to be really unethical to get rich? Right. Which is totally untrue. In fact, fact, if you're unethical, you probably won't get rich, I find in my experience. Listen, it happens in all directions, but we focus on the unethical part. Again, it's like the lion in the bush. It's like, you guys, 
people do wonderful things in order to make money and they do wonderful things with money. Certainly they do horrible things, but can we please focus on money being our pal and doing awesome things with it? And you, you make an important point that there's a difference between- I'm getting mad now. <laughs> That's okay, we want you to get mad. I'm like the Lorax, I speak for the money. You make an important point and you 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 highlight this in the book, the difference between wanting and deciding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think a lot of people want to be rich, yeah. but don't want to- uh, maybe describe it differently. They the don't want to do what it takes. So, how does deciding make you do what it takes? Because when you've made a real decision, you when you hit a challenge, which you certainly will, you don't look for excuses. You look for ways to push through them. That is the difference between wanting and deciding. Because when you've decided, there is no plan B. There's a great story in Think and Grow Rich where you know this army lands on a beach and they burn all their ships. So you know they're going to go rape and pillage this native whatever land, but they decide they're not going to fail. So they burn all of their ships. So the only option is success and moving forward. And that's what a decision is. Like you can't, you can't backpedal out and come up with excuses. If, if, if your life depended on you succeeding, you would go about things very differently. And that's what a decision is. And so, so when you made this decision, what did you do? How did you burn your ships? I started reading a lot of self-help books, which sounds like nothing, but I was, you know, I'm from New York. I'm really snarky. I was too cool for school. So that there, I was just like, God, I could die and people could find these books in my home. That would not be okay. I went to money-making seminars. I started listening to meditations. And this was all new territory for me and extremely uncomfortable. And Why then, did you link meditations to um, money-making? Because I think that is an important insight, mm-hmm. but most people don't realize mm-hmm. that. Um, because the books told me to. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was like, okay, if I have to meditate, I'm going to like whatever it took. If if I heard that it might help me figure out how to make money, I was going to do it. Uh, and meditation helps you unhook from your conscious mind in a very quick description of what meditation does. And in our conscious mind, there are many excellent thoughts going on, but there that's also where all of our beliefs about money and our judgments about money and all of the negative patterning exists. So when you shut off your conscious mind and just get into the flow, yo, and uh, connect to a a higher version of yourself that is not, you know, the the truth of yourself, the badass version of yourself that is the mightiness we all feel inside that, like knowing what we can do, that's what meditation helps you do. And so it helps you unhook from any negative beliefs you have around money. Um, I also started hiring coaches uh, financial coaches who kicked my ass into stretching myself and starting a new business and doubling my rates and mm. stuff I was terrified to do. So, but. so basically, you would uh, you would say to a coach like, "Oh, I have this client. I normally charge fifty dollars an hour," mm-hmm. and they would say, "Charge a hundred dollars an hour. See what they say." More like five hundred. And what yeah. what would happen? I would do it. I would be literally nauseous and expecting to get yelled at by my clients. And some people did freak out, you know, some people were like, who the hell do you think you are? But some people were like, let's roll, let's party. If you're charging that rate, I'm going to expect great things from you. I was like, okay. It's it's funny. I, I met someone like two years ago. I was sitting in a bookstore and they came up to me. They had read some of my writing or listened to my podcast or something. And this woman told me her story, which is that she was in the Middle East visiting her daughter and she was thinking of being a life coach. And somebody that her daughter knew who was like the son of a prince or whatever, uh, wanted a life coach. And this person said, I was going to charge maybe like $1,000 a month or something like that. And her daughter said, no, uh, charge a million a year and see what he says. 
And so she, so the guy asked, well, what do you cost? They met and he liked her and, and he asked, uh, what do you cost? And she said, I charge a million dollars a year. And he said, yes. And she got three clients that way. And that, and boom, her life changed. She yep. was like totally broke. And then was suddenly making 3 million a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what you decide. But you know, I wonder if we're, if we're seeing selection bias, because these are the stories that are told to us. We're not told like the stories by the people who, uh, Oh, I tried it and they say, get the hell out of here. Well, I've been on tour for a while with this book and I have lines of people coming up to me over and over and over and over and over and over telling me how blown away they are by when they made the decision to make money and when they did the scary thing, be it raising your prices or getting the raise or whatever, it works. Where's the line where it's too scary? So like, for instance, you went from 100 to 500 an hour. Mm -hmm. What if you went from 100 to 500,000 an hour? <laughs> like, well, if someone's out there charging a million, I'm, I'm got to up my game. <laughs> so, so, so basically you're, you're, you're using some sense of there's an upper limits to what's appropriate, but you're going to hit that upper limit. It's a really personal thing, honestly. And so here's a concept that I'm sure you've heard that money is currency and currency is energy, right? So money is everything. Everything in our reality, quote unquote reality is make believe. It's what you make yourself believe. So money is also make believe. I could spend a hundred bucks for this coat I'm wearing or a million bucks for this coat I'm wearing. It doesn't, it's what I've been made to believe it's worth. And then if I pay a million, maybe it's my favorite coat and it keeps me warmer because I now believe it's worth a million and it's the invincible coat. You know, whatever. We are very ruled by our beliefs. I, I think that's true. And I definitely, it's very interesting, the concept that money is energy. And I think a lot of people don't believe that, mm -hmm. but it's totally true. Totally true. Because if you, if you, you, you know, let's say you're stressed about money. Again, as you said, you can either, your, your cortisol spikes up, you get really stressed out. It's pain in the brain. Mm -hmm. And you can either say, okay, I can't do it. I'm going to stick to my cubicle job or you mm -hmm. figure out how to go for it. And I think- being able to take that second choice involves meditation, being healthy, having a lot of energy, having an energy in all areas of your life in order to make more money, which is, like you say, is also energy. And having a friendship with money because if you truly think that money is the root of all evil and that rich people suck and that you're going to have to compromise your morals in order to make it, you're not going to let yourself make it. What are some medium ones? Because those are like, I've seen those and those are some extreme ones, but other people just feel, other people just think, you know what? I'm not worthy. I'm an artist and yeah. artists don't make money. Okay. That's a common one. Or I'm not I'm not as smart as Elon Musk. I didn't go to the I didn't I, I've been 20 years on a cubicle. I don't have it's I'm too old. I've I've got to support these. They are, there's all sorts of a spectrum of Where excuses. you place your focus. So how many people are older than you who suddenly got what well, the guy who started Kentucky Fried Chicken did it when he was in his 70s, right? Yeah. And then Steve Jobs didn't graduate college. So you it depends where you place your focus. You can So here's the thing. You human beings love to be right. So if you decide that you suck and you can't make money, you have to do stuff you hate in order to make money, you will find proof of that. You don't realize it, but we unconsciously love to be right. So we find proof of that and we get very defensive about our realities. Even if they suck, we want to be right. So that's why when you change your focus and you're like, anything's possible, I can do anything, I'm 
I'm going to become a rich person this year. It's going to happen for me. You focus on that and you start proving that unconsciously to yourself. So, so, so again, what happened with you? Like, so you, you yeah. got these coaches. What happened next? I started focusing. I mean, I got really diligent about my thoughts, beliefs, and words. I, we started an online business for me where I was coaching writers at the time. I'd published a couple of books, but had zero dollars from them. And, uh, you know, and I started being the on, you know, how to write and sell your online book proposal. It was an online business. It was, it was, I was mortified by how cheesy it was because it was online marketing. And I remember my coach saying to me one day, she's like, because I was like, can't we do something a little cooler? Like my squeeze page was like, do you want to write a book? Do you wish you had some help? Enter your name and email address and I'll send you blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed so cheesy to me. And she's like, yeah, you can be broke and cool or rich and cheesy. You know, I, I've been through this because. After years of just giving writing away for free, I decided at oh. one point to sell an online thing, and I got such hate, and it really hurt me until I realized, you know, a none of these people are going to pay my bills yeah. or hate me, and b it's not Richard Branson's a billionaire, and it's not like he gives away plane tickets for free. Like people who make money sell things. And they hated you for charging for your writing? Yeah, when I had been doing oh, it for free. Please. And giving this, I still, this podcast is free. 99% of my writing is free. Everything I do is free, except I sell a few courses now and they cost. And there's a whole team of people around them, but I'm crucified by, you know, some, you know, oh, vocal minority. Cares? Seriously, do we have time for these people? I'd like to know how much they're making. Yeah, well, yeah, well. I, I agree, I agree. But for a while, it was really painful. I had to get over that. Yeah, I had to get over that fear. You do have to get over that. And focus on the people who are like, rock on, you're awesome at this. You deserve money. Did you feel though like, oh no, maybe there must be a way that with my current writing, I could, I don't have to do the, the squeeze page. I don't have to do the online marketing. People will just come to me. No, not at the time. Because at the time, I was very aware of the fact that I had been trying to make money on my own for 40 years. And it was not working on such a grand scale that I was like, I will do whatever you tell me. So I think people have to realize that, that uh, all of their decisions in the past have led to this moment. Hello. Yeah. And so if you want to change your life, you got to do things differently. So I could have kicked and screamed and I was like, all right, online marketing. And I tripled my income in the first three months. Three months. Three months, tripled. So I was like, bring on the cheese because I was serious about making money. And then as the longer I did it, you know, when you're coaching writers on writing their nonfiction book proposals, you're spending about 10 minutes on the actual outline and the layout of the book and the rest of the time coaching them off the ledge of their fraud complex. You know, what do I, I have no right to say this. I, I don't deserve to be a writer, right? So I learned how to life coach. And then I was like, I'm good at this and I enjoy it. And that's how I ended up with where I am now, but it never would have happened if I had decided I was too cool for school and couldn't charge for that. How do you get people over the fraud complex? <sighs> you know, again, it's where you place your focus. You know, so what is a fraud complex? You're, you're scared you're going to get busted, right? As a dum-dum or you don't deserve it or everybody's winging it. Nobody knows what they're doing better than you do. You know, you, you, know, you can go... <sighs> How do you get somebody over their fraud complex? Let me think about this for a second. It's a choice on where you're going to place your focus. That's all I got to say to you. Like you, yes, I could totally focus on all the things I suck at all day long. We all have things we suck at. Are you going to focus on those? Or are you going to focus on the excitement at going for it anyway? So, so let me let me ask you this. Like, so I suck at golf. 
Mm-hmm. I've played one time in my life, mm-hmm. so I'm definitely going to suck at it. And I'm never, um, maybe this is um, a wrong belief, but I am never going to be a golf pro. And even if I were to start playing now, probably every day, I'd probably never be a golf pro. I know that could be a false belief, but but whatever. Uh, chances are, if I go into it with too much positive thinking, like I'm going to go out there and be a golf pro, that might be bad for me. <laughs> Do you want to be a golf pro? No. Then who cares? <laughs> Because I'm serious, like, seriously. All right. Like, okay, I'm never going to be a ballerina. I don't care. But if you, it's it's the desire. It's the emotion. Like, if you really, really, I mean, people freaking with no legs climb mountains, right? Because they want to. They desire it. They're not screwing around. It's it's far more about the desire and the emotion behind the desire than anything else. So, so a lot of people say, um, oh, I've been... You know, or either say, or it's because they've been in the education system, then they've been in a cubicle for thirty years in the accounting department at some big company, and they just—it's been beaten out of them. They don't know what they desire. They how can how can they kind of reconfigure or rewire their brain to start figuring out what it is they desire? Because I believe yeah. you. If if you're competing, if you're doing something and you're competing against the person who desires it with all yeah. every cell in their body, you're going to lose. Yeah. So how do you find out what it is, yeah. what set of things you desire? Because it can't be just question. one thing. Yeah. Um, get out in the world. You know, read books, go online, look at stuff, talk to interesting people, see, you know, try things. My God, the amount of time we spend in our minds, like, well, I don't know if I, you know, if I try that though, uh, I could hurt myself and I don't think I'd be, get your ass off the couch and go try things. Because if you... If you sit around and think about things that you've never done, you have no idea. We pretend we know what the experience is going to be like. You don't know what it's like. You've never done it before. So get off your butt and go try some things, and you'll figure out what you do and what you don't like. I think I think also um, there might be something interesting in combining things. I'm like, getting so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you even angrier. Good. <laughs> let's, say, let's say I really did want to become a golf pro, but <laughs> I'm 50 years old, and my you know I'm the worst golf player in the world. But I now I start taking lessons and I pursue it seriously and I'm still horrible. But I go from shooting or hitting—I don't even know what it's called in golf—140 to 110. But I'm also a writer. Maybe I can combine things. How do you go from 140 to 110? Or I could analyze. Like, there's probably ways to combine ideas to pursue dreams. I'm never going to be Tiger Woods, but maybe I could be a good writer about golf if I combine writing with golf. I could be a good podcaster about yeah. golf. Sure. But but you're not gonna. I don't think it's wise to fragment in the beginning because when you really want to change mm. something about yourself, you need to give it everything you've got. And if you fragment it, this is I see this all the time because we're all so scared of missing out on something. So it's like I don't want to miss out on being a writer, but I don't want to miss out on being a golfer. So you try and do both, and you half-ass both, and then there you are. So you really got to focus on something at the beginning anyway. They say like a plane uses seventy percent of its fuel or something at takeoff. So you need that fuel at the beginning to launch. And then, you know, hopefully life is long and you can do it all. But fragmenting is the kiss of death. Because as a creative person, there is no lack of ideas. The second I start writing a book and the second it gets hard, which it does pretty quickly with me, I'm like, you know, it'd be so easy to be like, this is not the book I'm meant to write. I should write that other great idea I had last night. Then you start writing that one, then it gets hard, and then you keep bouncing around. You got to stick with it. What would you say, I mean, you talk a lot about uh, you know focus, obviously, and how this is related to manifesting things in your life. It, I think a lot of people get confused and think, "Oh, law of attraction, manifestation." 
if I just imagine I have a bunch of, uh, uh, if I imagine I have two tickets to Mexico, they're going to show up in my mailbox the next day. Where's kind of the inaccuracy in that, if there is one? I think a lot of people inaccurately view the law of attraction. It's just like, if I think of something, it's going to happen. But in fact, there's actually like, like taking, making money. It's one thing to say, to decide you want to be rich. It's one thing to decide you want to be a golf pro or whatever. I keep using that as an example. I don't know why I hate golf with a passion. Um, that's the thing I'm passionate about is hating golf. Stop talking about it. You're going to become one now. I know. So, so <laughs> whether you like it or not. But there's a skill set to learn. Like to 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 actually get rich, you need to learn about negotiation, sales. You need mm-hmm. to learn. You yeah. know, you need to be passionate. Have some vision about something that you think is better than other people's visions, and then sell it. Uh, yeah. You know, where does manifestation kind of blend into actually learning the right skill sets and yeah. so on? Well, you're actions are determined by your thoughts and your beliefs and your words. So if you're all hopped up and ready to go kick butt with your new online business selling golf tips, right? And you're super psyched about it, you're talking about it, you're going to take more actions and take more risks and put yourself out there more than if you're constantly like, oh, it's never going to work. Online marketing's really hard. Golf is boring. Right? By the way, what you just said, I could do. <laughs> like all you have to do is call up every golf pro Say, what are your top 10 tips? Oh, and then you target golf players on Facebook Listen, or whatever. I won't charge you for this big money-making idea. I know, that's that was huge. Like, that's a freebie. In terms of making money, what are some other excuses that people often have that you, that you see them are really conflicting in terms of, in terms of them actually succeeding at making money? It's not happened yet. I have no proof that I could ever do it. I mean, that was my big story was that I was in my 40s and I had consistently sucked at it my entire life. The economy is not good right now. I can't leave my job because of my health benefits. I can't tell you how many healthy people I hear that from. And I'm like, well, have you investigated what it would cost to get health insurance on your own? No, but I can't leave because of the health benefits. Um, I mean, what are some of yours? Uh, I feel I so so I've had ups and downs with money, and I've made a lot of money, and I've lost a lot of money, and I've made and back and forth and back and forth. And I think for me, uh, and I wanted to ask you about this too. I think there's an element of self sabotage that if I don't think I'm worthy of having money, then as a money making event gets closer and closer, I get more and more anxious and start to make worse and worse decisions. Mm coming from those feelings of anxiety. Why do you feel like you're not worthy of making money? What does that even mean? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a blind spot. I think that's a blind I think I'm aware enough to, to think that that's the reason I'm, I sometimes self-sabotage. Uh, I, don't, I haven't been doing it lately, I should add. I think I did it for my, my, up until my 40s. Mm. Um, but I think, uh, I think I was aware of that blind spot without being aware of what the roots were. And so I don't know what the roots were, but I just dealt with that feeling of I am worthy, but that's okay. the conflict, but it's hard. It, meditation helps. Yeah. And, and getting to the root of like, I, you know, if you're not worthy, does it mean you're stupid and bad at what you do? Or does it mean that you are unlovable if you make money? Like getting clear on what the emotional attachment to that particular belief is, is really important. That's interesting. So, so what's a case you've seen where somebody maybe was 
they felt they were stupid or they felt they were unlovable or what were some, have you, what, what do you think self-sabotage is if it exists? Oh my gosh. I think it's all sorts of things. Um, I mean, I've seen, you know, a lot of people think they'll get judged because they have judgment about rich people unconsciously, you know, like really that they're going to be judged and made fun of and looked down upon by their friends who are not making money. Um, you know, some people are, uh, one woman was scared that she would lose it. Like if she made it, that people would steal it. Like she had this big paranoia thing around that. Um, I found out one of the biggest mind blowers of mine was I realized that if I got rich, I felt like I would be stabbing my dad in my heart. I don't know if you read that part in my book where, you know, my dad, one of the ways he worked all the time, he wasn't around a lot, but one of the best ways that he felt comfortable showing affection was by giving me a $20 bill. And he always did it with money. And I was like, oh my God, if I get rich, I don't need him anymore. And it blew, it actually really shifted a lot of things for me. Cause then when I realized that, then I started focusing like a pit bull on imagining my father being so proud and happy for me. And you know, it is so interesting. I make plenty of money now and he still is like, well, you know, I, I can tell he's Italian and I can't talk about him without doing his accent. But, you know, I can be like, hey, dad, I just made, you know, half a million bucks on blah, blah, blah. He'd be like, at the end of the conversation, well, you know, you, let me know if you need any help. Like, you know, I can, I was like, yeah, dad, can you give me a hundred bucks? He's like, no problem. And it makes he him so happy. The, because his money's energy, he wants, that's his love. Exactly. <laughs> so I was right when I realized, oh my God, if I don't take money from my dad, it will make him so sad. So now I get to have both. And who doesn't want a hundred bucks? <laughs> do, do you think the same thing happens with relationships? Like women or men get disappointed in somehow they're upsetting their parents. It's as if they're going to, it's as if there's a fixed allotment of affection and love. So mm -hmm. they're gonna, if they, they're afraid if they move that affection in some percept, perceptual way from their parents to a partner, that their parents are going to get upset. You think that keeps people from romantic relationships? Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting actually. There's a lot of parallels between uh, money and intimacy because it's an energy. It's it's an exchange of energy. So there's a lot. Yeah, there actually is a really sobering exercise where you will, I actually do it in both of my books where you write a letter to money and um, just to sort of get an idea of what kind of a freak show you have going on around it because so many people have a push-pull relationship with it where you know, the one I put in the book was, you know, dear money, I love you. I wish I had more of you, but I don't trust you. And I feel like you'll leave and, you know, I'm embarrassed to admit I even want you, da, da, da. And so that's what I had going on. And then you look at your romantic relationships and whatever your biggest hangups are in those are often reflected in what you got going on with money. Yeah, I think it's probably a similar thing. This yeah. sort of somehow... Yeah people get a feeling of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Like take take money as an example. Let's say you grow up in a middle-class family, you go to college, again, you do the cubicle thing or you're trying to make it on your own and it's really hard. You've just spent 30 or 40 years trying something. It doesn't quite work, uh, but that's all you know. So, so the idea of making money or having a romantic relationship or any of these sort of pleasurable outcomes seems really, really hard. So that could be where the unworthiness comes from too. Like, oh, I've already been trying for 34 mm -hmm. years. It's, it's so hard. I must not be good at it. I, and, yeah. And, how, and so, so as it gets closer, it's easy to sabotage. 
Totally. And then you shift your focus. How do you do it? Like, how would you, you do it? You decide to do it. You decide to shift your focus. I know, then this is the thing. It's like, come on. Like, it's got to be so much harder than that. It's not. No, I, I believe you. Yeah. So, so when you decide, what's those first steps you take? You come up with a new mantra. So when I was living in the garage, I said, I can't afford it every five minutes. No matter what we were talking about, eventually I can't afford it. So I forced myself to start thinking, money flows to me easily and freely. Like every time I wanted to say I can't afford it, I was like, money flows to me easily and freely. And I would feel what that felt like instead. So even though, you know, I didn't have a lot of proof of that yet, it changed my energy around it and it changed my focus. And it, I'm not kidding you, it changed everything. You know, I started doing different things, but I, it woke me up to the opportunities that were all around me the whole time that I was too busy proving I can't afford it to see these new opportunities and people and ideas, right? Because I really wanted to be right about I can't afford it because it was who I was. Mm. So it. But you didn't want to. You you for thirty years you 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 you've always been right about everything. Of course. Yeah. You're, exactly. You're you. It's exhausting being so right all the time. Yes, and <laughs> you didn't want to be proven wrong about yeah. what your focus was on. Yeah. So if it's hard, it's going to be hard. You're going to prove yourself right. Totally. Yeah. So really, shifting that focus is enormous, and it takes you know, and you feel like a weirdo and it's super woo-woo and you're saying your affirmations. But again, that's where the decision comes in because I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm doing it because I am so sick of this and I'm ready. So how ready are you? Like how uncomfortable are you going to allow yourself to get? Again, it's about being willing to do what it takes. And a lot of people are not willing to do what it takes. Cause it's cause it's hard. Oh, it is not. It is. Oh it, my God. I will I will <laughs> how hard is it to change your focus? Working okay. in a coal mine is hard. Ch- ch- yes. Okay. Working in a coal mine is hard. Is not hard. Changing your focus is not hard. I'll 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 give you that. But but like for instance, building a business is very hard. Uh it's not, harder to sit in a cubicle day I, after day for 30 I, years doing something you hate. I agree with you. I Thank agree with you. you on that. It's just a different type of hard. So it depends on what sort of pain. Someone is willing to take. You have to decide that that's the pain you're gonna you're gonna go after, or you can focus on the fact. Holy crap! I am totally investing in my awesomeness, and I'm seeing what I can get away with, and I'm living in the adventure of life. Yeah, I that's agree with not that. hard. I, I, I'll add one thing, which is we're gonna have to arm wrestle over the word hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not leaving it here. <laughs> I I also like to view things negatively. Well, if I don't succeed in this, I'm gonna end up in the cubicle. For thirty years, you and like to view things negatively. Yeah, that is a much worse. That's much more motivator for me is to say uh, I am scared to death of, of okay, living in the well, cubicle good. for the if next thirty years. That's what gets the fire going. Rock on. So it could be. Yeah. I don't. I. I uh, when I was young, I tried starting a bunch of businesses, and, I, and they were just like, "Oh, this is so hard." And my my excuse became, "I am just not cut out for this. I just don't enjoy this." Right. But then the thought of living in a cubicle. Was was too excru- that was much more excruciatingly painful, and so, so you kept going. So eventually, I made the jump to Good. starting another business. Okay. So and then, but then a new type of hard came, which is you would make money and lose money. It's hard to the relationship with money. I didn't quite understand it as an energy, and so keeping it, you know, there's three skills: making it, keeping it, growing it. Mm-hmm. And I knew how to make it after a while, but I couldn't keep it or grow it. Okay. So those became different energies. Yeah. Well, you can learn. Luckily, there's a lot of people that are really smart out there who can teach you how to do those things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, so okay. So then you started making six figures, and you kept going. Mm-hmm. What what other things? What other what other things did you do? Because you you have in your books like uh, like talk about the relationship between gratitude and money, mm-hmm. which I don't think people realize. 
that again is a focus thing and an energy thing. So if you are grateful, what you appreciate, appreciates. And so if you're, you know, even your debt, be appreciative that you've got debt because debt means that you needed money and money was there for you when you needed it and it'll be there for you again. And it's it's when we constantly focus on being angry and and in lack and in fear that we pull our energy down. And gratitude is, man, when you're grateful, like really, truly grateful, that that is such a strong emotion and such a um, high frequency to be at. And it helps you focus on other high frequency things like more money. <laughs> well, you, you quote in in... I think both books, but definitely um, the You Are a Badass at Making Money. You quote Wallace Waddles mm. uh, from The Science of Getting Rich, which is a book over 100 years old, but mm-hmm. I, I love this book. Isn't uh, it good? Uh, you, you talk about how he, you quote him talking about gratitude, and I, I forget now the exact quote, but basically how that it, that's like the only energy for making money, essentially. Yeah, I can't remember how that quote goes. I thought I had that whole book memorized, but... Because also you're being grateful for things that haven't manifested on the physical plane yet. So when you're in a state of gratitude about them, you're already joining them on the energetic level. If I can go super outer space on you. So you're in the same energy frequency and that is how you manifest them onto the physical plane. So let's talk about that. So so part of the challenge of doing anything, like let's say I'm about to pitch a customer, I'm afraid they're going to say no. Mm-hmm. Um how can I use gratitude to kind of reverse that fear? Because you're focusing on them saying yes when you're grateful. You're like, I'm so, or not even that, you're focusing on on the gratitude for having this opportunity to have mm. an exchange with another creature on earth and to share with them how you can enhance their life and to have this really lovely exchange. You're grateful when it comes to making money, you are grateful for the money. It is not your job to tell the universe which person is going to give it to you. Money always comes to us through other people, always. So you just get into the state of gratitude like this money is mine. I know it's mine. I'm so excited. I'm so grateful. La, la, la. Here's a really cool person. I'm going to have a conversation. Maybe it'll come through them. I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was really in hardcore money flow mode and meditation mode and gratitude mode and studying this stuff, where I got really clear on that and I would I would meditate on the feeling of having the money I desired and really see it and act as if and embody it. And I'd be talking to the person who I thought was probably going to give me the money. It came from a completely different source almost all the time. It was really interesting. You know, it's funny because I always, I always say, you look at a person who's, let's say, super wealthy, you actually never really know how they made all their money. It's always like a surprise. Like for instance... William Shatner, you know him from Star Trek. It's not how he made his money. He got super wealthy by be- being a spokesperson in the 90s for Priceline. So he made $100 million that way. Oh, wow. So, you know, once, you know, he obviously was already well-to-do because of Star Trek, but I think that opened to him the possibility, like, oh, yeah, I could do this. And so suddenly opportunities, he knew how to spot opportunities. Mm. Not that William Shatner is my example for everything, but (laughs) (laughs) he could, perhaps he could be. So he also saw that thing on the plane and he turned out to be right on the twilight zone. So um, I I sometimes think of this as like the Honda Civic effect. So you know that thing where if you buy a Honda Civic, suddenly you notice all the other Honda Civics on the highway. And before you had the Honda Civic, you would never notice them. Totally. And so if if you decide to focus on um, oh, my life is abundant as opposed to um, poor, you'll suddenly start 
that decision will allow you to see opportunities where before you might not have, like, oh, I'm going to now call this person back as opposed to like, oh, I'll never meet anybody who will help me. Absolutely. And I, I find that that works a lot. I don't know. No, if, that's absolutely it. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's so, so gratitude is important because of this, the changing you from the frequency of fear. What would you say is the relationship between, you know, Jim Rohn has this quote, uh, you're the average of the five people uh, mm. you spend your time with. Yeah. And you talk a lot about a lot about that yeah. in both books. Yeah. Um, we are very susceptible to suggestion. That's why so many of us live in fear our whole lives, because we live in a fear-based society. So we just are taught to be afraid of the lion in the bush. Um, and we surround ourselves with people, you know, our reality is created by our words, thoughts, and actions. And so the people that we hang out with form that reality with us, right? That's who we have our conversations with. Um you know, that's who helps us. Basically, we listen to their words and actions and blah, 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 whatever. They help us create our perception of reality. And so when, and this is why when you decide to change and and go get rich or lose that weight or get married or have kids or quit your job, a lot of times the people closest to you don't support you, right? They're like, they tell you, oh, you know, nine out of 10 restaurants fail. I wouldn't try that, you know, I don't know. She's kind of out of your league, blah, 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 right? Under the guise of worrying for you. I've gotten both of those, by okay, the way. Okay, okay. So, uh, meanwhile, Joe Schmo across the street's like, rock on, dude, that's awesome, right? And you're like, how come the people I love who are supposed to be there for me are dragging me down? And it's because when you change, if you date that woman or you start that restaurant and, and it goes well, you're killing off your old identity as their pal, the person that they know to be a certain way and people freak out when you kill off their pal, right? So not only that, it also holds a mirror up to them being like, we're all in this reality together, talking and speaking and acting as if in the same reality. If I change, I'm holding a mirror up to you to show you, you can do it too. And when people don't wanna change or wanna be grouchy and wanna defend their right to, I can't afford it, they are not psyched when you tell them, even if it's not in you know literal terms, but you tell them that there's other options for them just by going out and changing yourself. They get pissed off and so, so this you is down. Real, Jay, do you have a pen? Someone have a pen? I want to write these two things down. <laughs> <laughs> this is. I think this is the most important. I mean, I think all these things are important, like meditation, kind of short circuiting these fears, and and gratitude, and focus, and the difference between want and decision. But I think that the people you spend your time with is so incredibly valuable. Hugely important. Because that's frequency also. Totally. You're going to share each other's frequencies. Totally. And so back in the day, I didn't know anybody who wanted to go out and get rich. None of my friends were- Even though everybody in society wants to yeah, get rich. Yeah, right. But nobody was willing to do what it takes. And so I had to pay for my new friends because I, you know, I'm, I'm walking around like, you guys, you guys I'm going to get really rich this year. I got a lot of hairy eyeballs from the people closest to me. And uh, so wait, mirror was the second one. The first one was uh, I love you, that you're taking notes. That's so awesome. They're, they're, um, you're taking their, they're, they're, you're killing you're taking off their, their identity, away. and you're, yeah. you're killing off their pal. You're killing off their pal. And, and also, I think it's all in the book too. By the way, I I I I, I know, but, I'm, <laughs> but, but, okay. now, but now I'm summarizing it from this. Okay, because it's falling into place in a different way. Oh, good. Um, so so. Next well, time my, we'll be doing this interview in a Cadillac. 
I don't. I don't drive. So <laughs> I'm, I'm being not, with a driver. Nine out of ten people say they're an above average driver, uh-huh. which is impossible. Nine out of ten people can't be above average. I'm the one out of ten though who actually admits he's a bad driver. So I haven't driven Good since 2002. Okay. So uh, you live in New York City. You don't need to drive. At the time, I lived in um, Putnam County. Oh. And uh, then I needed to drive, but I would kill people if I drove. <laughs> so what'd you do? Skateboard. No, I uh, my kids bought me a scooter once, and I the first time I used it, I flipped over and hurt not myself. Not that and, either. Yeah, not so what'd you do? Had people drive me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, but they resented it. But oh. <laughs> then I moved to New York. Um, okay, what's another thing about uh, you? The average of five people around you, because you gave some negative examples about how, about your old the old people who were negative. What happens when you start hanging out with the positive? Oh, well, when you hang out with people, it's kind of like they say how. Uh, you want to play tennis with someone, or let's say golf, perhaps. <laughs> you want to play golf with someone who's better than you because it ups your game, right? Like you try harder, you're watching them play, you're, they're showing you what's possible as a golfer, yeah. how to be your best. And so when you hang out with people who are really inspired, who not only show you that anything is possible, but um, who support you and give you ideas and and connections as opposed to their worried doubts and fears you know it's extremely helpful and it raises your frequency because your beliefs thoughts and words are going to be at a higher frequency because that's how they roll i was talking uh about this with someone the other day who specifically said and i i i know he was wrong and i'm not quite sure why he was saying this but he's basically saying don't hang out with people better than you um because you won't understand their advice and they'll often try to lead you the wrong way. <laughs> How successful is this person? Uh, he had been doing his activity for 20 years and I would say medium success. Mm. Probably not as successful as he should have been given 20 years of work at it. Okay. So I would not take his advice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> My advice is don't take his advice. Um, all right, I, I'm going to push you. More, more reasons to hang out with people better, right? to, to raise my frequency. They have nicer cars with drivers to drive you around if you hate to drive. All right, nicer cars. Nicer things in general. (laughs) I prefer to be around people with a positive outlook in life than people with a negative outlook on life. Definitely. It's more more fun. You get one round, man. I don't want to sit around with a bunch of whiners. I used to to get really nervous. Like, let's say in business, let's say I was pitching an idea or I was uh, for a while I ran a hedge fund and I would be around you know other wealthy people who were investors and I would get really nervous because even though they were had succeeded and were very successful I was feeling this anxiety like how am I going to pitch them for their to, so that they invest money in my hedge fund mm-hmm. so I wasn't truly enjoying the relationship but instead had this anxiety around it and how could maybe I have gotten around that by not focusing on the fear of what could go wrong, but focusing on, cool, I'm hanging out with these awesome people who have tons of cash. They can grow my business and I can help them grow theirs because I'm good at what I do and I enjoy what I do and let's party. So a lot of that, when you talk about focus, a lot of it sounds like almost, uh, uh, it's sort of a, a meditation technique. It's like a, it's like a practice. You have, to, you have to catch, you have to be yes. s- self-aware enough to catch that anxiety and say, oh, I need to replace it. And you talk yeah. about replacing it in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to replace these fears once you catch it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is about catching the negative things you might feel about people who could potentially yeah, help you. Totally. And that and that's it. It really is just about getting specific about what your anxieties and fears and negative beliefs are 
and turning that frown upside down. And what about in romantic relationships? Same thing. Like whatever your doubts, fears, and worries are around that, why focus on the stuff that makes you feel like it's never going to happen or you're going to, you know, that's why they say when you make, have you made a list of who it is? I don't know what your situation is, but have you ever made the list? Where I have made the list. You have made and the list. And it does work. Okay, right? You know why I made the list, by the way? Hmm. I asked every couple I saw that was in a great relationship, how did you guys meet? And 100% of them said, just three months before we met, I made the list ah. of everything I wanted. 100% of these people said this. I talked to maybe awesome. 20 couples. Same and works. I'm not exaggerating. It wasn't more than 20. It wasn't less uh -huh. than 20. And they were incredible couples. Like they Good. worked together. They had kids. They still seemed madly in love. And I'm like, how did you do it? And it was always like two or three months before we met, I finally made the list and so-and-so fit it exactly or or so somewhat exactly. Like there'd right, be little right, differences. Sure. Yeah, it's the specificity and it's the focus because they put their focus on what they desire. And then it's that Honda Civic effect. Then you start to notice them yeah. in the crowd. Mm -hmm. hmm. So let me see. I have all sorts you're, of I have all sorts of things that I had bookmarked um, on both books, but I I, I liked. I feel like the you're a badass at making money was very. It was like you took you're a badass and you very specifically made it about obviously about making money. Like you you kind of took each technique. And, and told the stories of how it worked for people making money and it was very valuable, but kind of the core essence is still in you are a badass. I don't, like, would you agree with that or? Well, when I wrote you are a badass, the money chapter ended up being twice as long as all the other chapters because my struggle was, you know, I really conquered my money beast and so I had a hell of a lot to say about it. So that's why I was like, I've got to write a book just about money because there's, so much more I want to say about this that I think can really help people change their financial situations that I can't put in a book that's about a lot of other things. But a book that's just about money, I can go to town. So I got to go much, much deeper on a lot of stuff that I just skimmed the surface of in You Are a Badass. So like what? Um, well, the judgment around money, The to, to really help people understand that the the thing that blocks most of us from making more money is we don't give ourselves permission to get rich. And how airy-fairy that sounds and how stupid easy that sounds, but it is so deep. Like that thing I told you about my dad, like I did not give myself permission to hurt my dad's feelings. And how did you realize, like, again, some people I think have almost the cliche thing of, oh, people who make money are evil or unethical mm -hmm. or, you know, money's the source of all suffering or whatever. They have some cliche view of money. Mm -hmm. But yours, that was much more subtle that you making money would somehow hurt your dad's feelings. Yeah. Like, how did you become aware of that? By doing, you know, I actually, you know, I wrote my letter to money. I was saying my affirmations. I was going to all of these seminars. And that realization came to me as I kept pushing myself into taking bigger and bigger leaps of faith. And there was one, I actually put this story in a book where I wanted to hire a coach for $85,000. That was their fee. And to me, at the time, I was like, that is irresponsible. That is not even within, that's like me going to Saturn for lunch. Like that doesn't even make sense on planet Earth the way I live my life. But because I had made the decision and because I saw this coach on stage and I was like, I so want to work with that person. I opened myself instead of being like, I can't afford it, which is my old mantra. I was like, money flows to me easily and freely. I'm going to figure this out. And just by 
making that decision in that moment that I was going to figure it out and I was going to entertain it as a possibility in my life, which was bananas at the time, that's when the dad thing, literally, I had a flash, like an image. It was it was like buried so deep in my subconscious, it was like covered in seaweed, bleh, but I had this image of my adorable father with his hands in his pockets, looking down at his feet, really sad. Mm. And I was like, oh, hello. And you didn't that time. I didn't hire the at, coach that the time. Nope, I wimped out, but it set me on a new course of awareness where I, I worked through my dad's stuff where I was like, okay, I'm going to really change this story and imagine my dad so proud of me and so happy that I can take care of myself and still need him at the same time and still love him and still accept love from him in the way that he can give it. So so with these nuanced ways of uh, kind of blocking yourself, whether it's money or romantic relationships or, or anything else, you know, Again, you give a lot of techniques for these things, but how do you think what do you think is sort of the best way to figure out these blind spots? I call them blind spots because mm-hmm. you don't know what they are before mm-hmm. you know what they are. Yeah. You do the work. You read books like mine, you read other self-help books, you hire a coach. I really think hiring somebody to help you is such a great because man, I've seen it with me and my clients and with me and my coaches. Like one thing can be said that saves you 3 years of writing lists and doing journaling and You know what I mean? Like somebody who you literally can't see the forest for the trees. So when you hire somebody who's looking at it from a different vantage point, they're like, yeah, just do that. And you're like, oh. So you mentioned a lot about also, uh, and this is related to gratitude, but you mentioned a lot about giving and how giving Mm. is a way of receiving. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, maybe explain that. I don't always, I mean, I give, but it's not always with the purpose to, to receive, obviously. Uh, what's what's the connection? What's the relationship? Well, especially with money. Yeah. Um, or with relationships. Okay. Sometimes people give too much in relationships. Okay. Well, um, because it's an exchange of energy, and when you cinch off energy, it's it's stagnated and it's stuck, and so giving and taking. Um, keeps the energy flowing. So it's a natural, it's a reciprocal, and right? It's a reciprocal flow. So if that's why giving and receiving are, you know, that's why you get in the flow. The more you give, the more you receive because then you're just in the flow and you're not coming from lack. Like a lot of time we don't want to give is because we feel like we don't have enough of whatever the hell it is. But if you're in gratitude and you're like, I live in an abundant universe, I'm badass, anything's possible and Let's just get in the flow and not be focused on lack, but be focused on abundance. That's how it works. And and when you say focused on flow and focus on abundance, and you also refer a lot to source energy, mm-hmm. and you even refer to the Force and Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. as kind of similar types of things. Do you think it is po- like? And you also focus just to keep on listing what you focus in these books. Uh, you also focus on. Uh, quote unquote, the present and people like Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie uh, being focused on the present as opposed to regrets or fears or anxieties. Uh, what's the what would you say is the best way to stay tapped into that higher mm. energy uh, all the time for anything? Uh-huh, yep, going to the spiritual gym as I call it, reading books, doing meditations, listening to music that makes you feel uplifted, hanging out with people who are kicking ass, all of that stuff, making the conscious choice to participate in the stuff that makes you feel good. 
And I, I'm going to guess, is your next book, You Are a Badass at Relationships? That's got to be your next book. I don't know yet. Maybe you're going to write that. Maybe. <laughs> oh, so you're thinking of franchising the You Are a Badass concept, kind of like how Elrod did with the Miracle Morning, his Miracle Morning for Parents, Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. I can't disclose this information on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair enough. These are these are great books. You are a badass, and you are a badass at making money. I have one final question. The guy who charges eighty five thousand to coach, I feel like that's a horrible business. It seems like a lot of money to charge to coach, but it's not scalable, really. Well, I paid it eventually, and yeah, but how is he ever going to make like twenty million a year? Not that that's like a goal of his necessarily. But, Honey, he's doing great. All right. Yeah. Does he like outsource it to then sub coaches? First of all, it's a she. She. My my um, that my, I ended up paying. That's like that's like that joke uh, about the doctor. Yeah. Anyway. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> and we're on to a new topic that I can't wait to talk about either. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Because she's at the frequency. That's what I charge. You want to come up here and party with me at eighty-five grand? Let's roll. And does she have fun doing it? Talking oh, yeah. to. All mm-hmm. right. How many clients does she have at eighty-five thousand? I don't know, but it's it's more about the energy. And I was glad to pay it, and I tripled my income again working with her again. So, and do you still do life coaching? I don't. Now yeah, you're just right focused now. on the books. Focusing on writing and speaking, and I might do. Some, I'm not going to do one on one anymore. I miss I miss my groups though. I really uh, miss working. I do a lot of teleconferencing with a couple hundred people in my groups, and now I'm on book tour, so a lot of people are coming up to me like, "I was in your group in 2015," and it's really I love it. So I might do that again. But I don't know. Well, Jen Sincero, you're a badass. Um, I'm going to see if I can read this subtitle. How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start um, Your your, your Living an Awesome Life. And Start Living an Awesome Life. And You're a Badass at Making Money, Master the Mindset of Wealth. I love both of these books. While I was reading them, I really found them to be inspirational. I really found myself I wrote my letter, Dear Money. I was inspired to feel gratitude and I, I listed uh, 200 things I was grateful for and <laughs> I did the whole thing. And these are very inspirational books and they get you thinking and they get you taking action. So I, I really appreciate you taking action and coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. It was really, really fun. Thanks so much. It was great to be here. Bye. Thanks. are true overwhelming power the sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili wickdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries and sprites ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last